0: What is up, everybody? Uh, This is the Monday main point, really more like the midweek main point since it is Wednesday right now. Uh, Thank you for tuning in with us, and I'm joined here by my brothers here, our lead pastor, Jeff McCarthy, and our youth pastor, Jeremiah Custer. I'm Blake Flinchman. I'm the host of uh, the Midweek midweek main point here. I said wake uh me and Jeremiah just got back from the basketball game last night, so I get so real excited about Wake and uh what happened with Duke last night. But that's not what we're here to talk about. So we are going to talk about Jesus and exalt him with this. But uh good to be with y'all today, fellas. Uh really excited to get to dive into your sermon, Jeremiah. Uh tell us a little bit, you know, the why behind this. I know this is your last this was your last sermon here. So why why'd you go this route with a uh, Christmas from beginning to end?
1: Uh,
2: I mean, I guess you're wanting a spiritual answer. I don't really have one. I, I love Christmas, so yeah. I wanted to preach all of them, every text. Uh, so really, I basically just did kind of a Google search on, like, obscure Christmas passages. And I really – I landed on Revelation 12, and then I started researching it pretty hard. And then I had I, almost committed to just preaching it. And then I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is not a Christmas message. I like the text, but it's not the time for Christmas to, to dive into that text. Because it's just, you normally have a lot of visitors on Christmas or around Christmas time, a lot of family. And the last thing you want to talk about is dragons and uh, <laughs> virgins. And, uh, yeah. Just kind of some weird stuff going No, I see that. So, Um, but then I was like well I I wanted to kind of do Genesis 315 too but I had just done that before the pandemic so I was like that's too early to do again although I think people would have they don't remember Um, I could have done that again but then I was like well I'll just do the whole I'll just make this topical which I don't normally like to do and I also wanted to do like the very middle like I actually wanted to do a Christmas text right so really the sermon, the reason I cut one point is because I felt like it was too topical and I wanted to really dive into John 3, 16, 17, 18. And at one point I almost threw in 19, 20, and 21, um, but I just decided let's go simple. Let's try and focus um, and, you know, based on the leaning of the Holy Spirit, uh, that's kind of where we landed. So I, I I like the title, like from beginning to end, I wanted to show like the whole story and how the whole Bible was pointing to this moment, like these. And uh, I think Jeff's going to talk about
1: that on Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, the fullness of time, and then
2: yeah,
1: Christmas Day is the good news. Yeah. And, uh, the passage what the
2: oh yeah from angels said yeah. Luke,
1: and kind of break that whole thing down with that who what when where why and how.
2: Yeah. So. That's that's kind of the story as to why we landed there. Um, I'm I'm happy with kind of how it turned out. Um, it's just not like my normal style, like preaching. No, I got preaching.
1: you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's that's. But what I thought it was, was clever though that whole uh, the bookend, because I never never really put that bookend together where 3:15 and then the, the passage in
0: in Revelation, Revelation yeah. which
1: is the end. That okay, so. These two things were there, so everything in the beginning, in the you know, in the middle, it's all about Christ and points to that, which is really the truth. Mm -hmm. And when you really dig into passages and all, you keep you keep seeing how those references go back and forth. Which you know, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day is going to be full of it. It's like okay, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. I'm really excited to uh, really excited to dive into all really all three of these passages just a little bit and get to get to dive in the text with that. So I'm gonna go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll get uh, we'll get into uh, the scriptures with Genesis 3.15, Revelation 12, and John 3. Lord, thank you for this uh, podcast. Lord, thank you for my brothers here um, who I get the privilege of serving with. Lord, thank you for our church here. And just pray uh, on this podcast, Lord, pray that we would decrease so that you would increase and we would uh, exalt you and uh, no one but you alone, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, Jeremiah, your first point was uh, Christmas. uh, Let's see here. Christmas was always the plan. And... Uh, your first verse with that was Genesis 3.15, and I'll read that here. And uh, like you were saying in the context, uh, Adam and Eve and God had this great relationship in the garden, in this paradise. And obviously, sin came about, and uh, this is a post, uh, the first promise post-paradise, like you were saying. And it yeah. and, uh, says in verse 15, I will put hostility... Between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So this verse is uh, named by many scholars as a Proto-Uangelion, which in simple terms is the first gospel. And this promise says somebody is going to come in to defeat sin, to defeat the, the curse of, that this serpent has brought about. And you said this was always the plan. And I actually got to thinking about this this really goes with God's sovereignty, His, uh, His, uh, when it comes to His characteristics and His nature. A lot of times, I think people can be like, "Well, God planned for this perfect world, but then the fall." So, I, I want to ask you to: Was the, was the fall, was Christmas a backup plan, or what, what's going on here? Because it seems like. You know, we wouldn't say God planned for the fall, would we? Or something like that. I'll throw that question to to, to y'all. <laughs> so
2: I, I actually kind of addressed that yeah. a little bit in the sermon. Um, I didn't go into big detail because it's hard to know what, what questions people are going to like specifically ask right. when it comes to that. Yeah. So you kind of want to give broad strokes. But essentially, I believe that God, because he is all-knowing, had to have known. The fall would happen when he created us.
0: Well, and if he didn't.
2: And he created a rubric or what we, we say rubric or like a syllabus. He created a plan that allowed for sin, um, but that doesn't mean he caused us to sin. Even though he knew it was going to happen, um, he still, because of love, created it because of his own glory. He created us um, knowing that we would rebel but he also had the plan before he created us of Jesus and sending his own son to redeem us. So you could be like, well, he created us so that we, we would sin." well, that's what a jerk. But yet he already, he already had the plan in place yeah. to fix our sin. So like, is he a jerk savior? Like what's going on? I can see why people have a lot of questions for me. I don't have too many questions when it comes to this area because I'm encouraged by the scriptures to know we're accountable. And, and it was us that brought our own condemnation. Jesus, God didn't con- uh, condemn us, but, um, uh, our own sin. And he promised that from the beginning. And that's why I say, this is the first promise from God post fall. Cause he did tell them, look, if you eat from this fruit, if you disobey, this is what's going to happen. And that's what happened. Um, and so I don't know if that answers your question specifically, but um, I, I just want to make it clear that I believe from the scriptures, and I, I quoted some of the more specific scriptures later in the sermon, but I believe that God knew they would fall and had the plan, which is Jesus, in place before the fall. It didn't catch them by surprise. It wasn't a backup plan. It wasn't like, oh, they messed this plan up, I'm going to get a new
1: plan. I think he knew he had the plan in place before right. the foundation. And that makes even that Jesus was willing to come to this earth to become a man, to take on that form, knowing he was going to be rejected, knowing he was going to be uh, beaten and yeah. scourged and spat upon and humiliated and, and even put to death. He was still willing to come, which then even makes the plan and all even more mind blowing that that because he's God, he's equal to God. He could have said, no way, Mm. you know, but he was willing to come. Mm -hmm. So and and God knew that about his son, too, that his son, even though he coexisted and was always there, that this plan in place, he was going to accept the plan. Um, So then that leaves us then, what are you going to do about the plan? If you hear it and you know about it and you realize it, now it's up to you, which goes to that we'll talk about in a few minutes when we talk about that second point or the the third point uh, (laughs) on the outline, the second point in the sermon (laughs) about the the John 3.16, because most people think opposite when they hear that verse. They think uh, totally opposite that God hates us and wants to punish us. And so, yeah, so it's it's pretty, it's hard to understand this stuff. Yeah, I think from a parent's point of view, you probably can grasp it a whole lot more when you have children and instead of punishing them, you offer them grace and all this other stuff and and that you have these dreams and hopes and plans for your children, but knowing they're probably going to disappoint you along the line, but you're not going to just totally uh, disavow them As your children, but you're still going to love them. But when they do do something wrong, there is punishment and consequences. So, so from that perspective, you probably have a better, better understanding than we do uh, from from a father's standpoint, but from a son's standpoint, receiving grace and forgiveness and all that, that gives us the same. kind of understanding too yeah uh, from a different perspective
0: so. yeah when you see that playing and I think it's really hard to argue against what y'all were saying with the scripts so I know you mentioned multiple scriptures yesterday that was like that mentioned like from the foundation of the world and it, like if this was a plan from the foundation before from the foundation before the world even began that was it's really hard to argue against that which goes back to even what you were saying was to show the love that God has for us I think it even argues for a greater love with God with that and so when it comes to that plan of sending this person sending this messiah to uh, crush the head of the serpent we see uh, we see Adam definitely wasn't the answer nor were his sons because you see uh, like you were saying, you know, Cain killed Abel. Abel, you know, really could have been the guy. He can't be because he's dead. And obviously Cain's not going to be a messiah because he's a murderer. Mm-hmm. Um, and Scripture, and I think it's, is it Paul in Romans that says Christ became the, Christ is a new and true and better Adam? Yes,
1: yeah. yeah, it's wrong.
0: Yeah. How is he the true and better Adam? Well, if you look at that Romans
1: passage, said through one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and then. Uh, then from, from another man, then, uh, through his death, life comes into the world. So he becomes like the new Adam for this new rebirth. Um, so in his translation that he used was offspring and, you know, uh, the, the new King James, uh, you know, uses the archaic language, your seed and her seed. Yeah. And then they have a capital S for her seed, which for <laughs> a lot of people, when, if you look at that passage, um, they'll tend to use that for the virgin birth. how how a woman doesn't have a seed, she has an ovary, she has the egg, then this was something new and something unique that this was even here in this verse of scripture that this was going to be a unique birth that happened when this um, Messiah shows up. It's not going to be a human Messiah, but it's going to be an actual offspring of of God, God's own son. And how would that happen? So uh, that points to it too. So it's, it's through that that God's, um, was willing to come to this earth through Jesus Christ in the form of a, a baby um, through the Holy Spirit um, that, that that child vulnerable even as a little child and and Harry tried to have him killed even as a baby that, that even foreshadowed that that this this is going to happen this this person is going to suffer they're going to die and scripture is clear with with Isaiah with the suffering servant and all that Yeah, in
0: Isaiah fifty three. This is
1: gonna be and in Psalms too that that this Messiah, this person that comes, um, is gonna it's gonna suffer suffer badly and, and even die. And so um and that, that 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 bruise your bruise your head and bruise his heel that or uh, he was going to crush Satan's head, but in order to do that it was going to be a, a bruise on the heel, which points to the cross as well. So Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that helps you see that this is truly a unique person that came. It wasn't just a human being. It had to be God in the flesh, you know, God with us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And with, uh, and when we look at that, I was reminded of, a uh, actually Luke's genealogy, because a lot of times, uh, Luke really, uh, Luke kind of reverses how we would typically see a genealogy. He started with Jesus and worked his way back where, like Matthew works uh, from the Old Testament, works towards Jesus. Uh, Luke works his way back and he ends with Adam. Mm -hmm. And in Luke 4, it talks about how Jesus was tempted and shows kind of like that correlation of he is this uh, like he is this uh, human who's going to come to reverse uh, what's. Been going on, and we really see that. Um, and I like how you threw in a uh, Revelation twelve at the end. Let's just go ahead and go there. How we see that is always the plan, in Revelation twelve. And I'm just kind of want to read uh your your uh, verse was verse five, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just going to read just like the first five verses, so we can see the kind of like the context. And this is a little bit of a wild passage here, <laughs> like you were saying. It's a uh, it's a little bit wild, but it's good because it kind of, like uh, you were saying, Jeff, has like the book ends of the story here. And I thought it was a really good thing. So I'll start in verse 1 just so we can well, see. If the if
2: you're going to read yeah. – uh, go ahead and go to verse
0: 12. Okay, through verse 12? Yeah. Okay, I'll read no, that. No, one. no,
2: verse 13. Uh, <laughs> uh, read through verse 14. Okay. If you're going to read 1 through 5, you might as well just go through verse
0: four. Okay, all right says, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven crowns. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth, and the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. Verse 5, she gave birth to a son, a male who is going to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished there for 1,260 days. Verse 7, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought. But he, could all, but he could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil, and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come, because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they did not love their lives to the po- for they did not love their lives to the point of death therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you with great fury because he knows his time is short when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth he persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness where she was nourished for a time, times and half a time. (laughs) Yeah, so this is a wild passage here, but at the end of the day, it's scripture and you were using it. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, so it's like, well, what in the world do we do with this passage here? So
2: let me just preface this. Yeah here's what I'm super convinced by. And this is the reason my point was Christmas was always the plan is because when you read that passage, it becomes super clear that God's timing is not anywhere close to the same timing as us. Like his, like how he talks about time and how he enters into time. Like, first off, he created it and he created it linear for us. So for us, Time is always linear. We can't can't take our minds off the fact that everything that happens right before this moment is the past, right now is the present, and there's the future. Like it's all one line. We can't can't fathom a God who is both here right now and with Abraham right now.
0: Right. So – like with human time, this, this doesn't make a lot of sense through a human time lens, if you will. Yeah. You know.
2: And so like when we – that's why – and, and, and you, you notice I brought up like Satan in, in the, the garden. Yeah. I did that on purpose because this passage – and I didn't read it, again, because I didn't want to – you can't go into all this. <laughs> but this passage is where we find out who that ancient serpent is that's in the garden. Yeah. Why is he even in the garden? Some there was clearly there. a battle that happened, but this passage in Revelation talks about the battle happening right at the birth. That the battle is taking place at the birth. And so it's like,
0: how? Yeah. How in the
2: world yeah. is the battle like? Because it talks about her going into the wilderness, which we know is like Egypt and all that. Right. Right. Um,
1: well, Herod was used by Satan. Yeah. To kill and and I preached on that passage before uh, about uh, uh, Rachel weeping for her children. Yeah. Which was oh, pointing yeah, to yeah. that thing uh-huh. that was going to happen. That how Herod even at Jesus's birth, Satan wanted to destroy him even at that time. Yeah. And so, so he just basically used Herod, who was doing it for his own selfish reasons. He didn't want a uh, a Messiah that wasn't him to be born. And so he had every child under the age of two killed. Yeah. Every child, boy and girl. It just says every child was killed. Yeah. So they didn't like check it. Oh, yeah. They just said mm-hmm. there was a baby, a woman was nursing the child, they grabbed that kid, child and killed it. But but fortunately through the gifts of the Magi, God provided the way for Mary and Joseph to be able to escape to Egypt and be able to live there for two or three years. however no long it was before they were able to go back to Galilee when Herod died. So, so I think this passage in revelation was pointing to how this battle, this enemy, this fight that's been going on, the struggle since the beginning of time was still going on even then, because it's clearly references when Jesus, uh, her child was caught up to God in his throne that apparently yeah. he died and was raised again and then sent it to the throne. Yeah. So, so kind of like the book into the story, like you are saying, yeah. so, so this is the same struggle that's been happening yeah. for, for eternity. It seems like, yeah. but there will be a, we know in revelation, there's going to come an end to all that. Yeah. And then God's going to have the final judgment. Um, and so, uh, so, so the final judgment then even points back to what you are going to bring up about John three sixteen that yeah. that do I stand before God condemned uh, already or if I believe in Jesus then does does that condemnation yeah. is it removed and yeah. so 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 it's all still tied together even though it's using language and image imagery that John at that time was trying to write so that the people that read it can have some kind of understanding about what this seemed to look like or could look like. Um, Because like you were saying, if he's looking futuristic at some kind of battle or some kind of thing that's going to happen in the future, um, even if it was in modern times, let's say we were using nuclear warfare and all this other stuff, then how do you describe that to somebody? It could be a serpent or it could be a scorpion or it could be all these things. So, so, um, it just helps us stay grounded that, 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 Jesus fought this battle for us. The ultimate battle yeah. is sin, death. Uh, uh, and, sure. um, and, and so he took that punishment yeah. and gave us the victory, yeah. uh, through all of that. So that's and, my kind of just, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cliff note version of saying, okay, this is how it makes sense to me. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think and I'm glad you, bring that up about like staying grounded with Jesus because that's where I think a lot of people can go wrong. When Not just in this passage of revelation, but trying to interpret revelation in general. I think a lot of times people can overcomplicate it. And now don't get me wrong. I'm going to be fair to them. It is a very complicating book to try and to understand, especially like, I mean, that passage starts out with a sign in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. It's like the imagery is kind of hard to, understand and what analogies are trying to be made but it's it's always going to be about Jesus it's the the book the title of the book is the revelation not revelations but the revelation of Jesus Christ what's he's what's being unveiled about him so anytime you're trying to interpret this book always go back to Jesus because that's what it's going to be about because a lot of times and with and with that John had a certain context he was writing to. A lot of times with revelation I think we can think so much about the the future and we forget that there's a specific context that he's writing to. If it was just about all future what what would it why would he write to that context about does that kind of make sense of what I'm saying with the hermeneutic there. So remember that and try to always be loyal to that with um, Jesus in mind, and with that, you do come to what your conclusions were. Uh, this is about Jesus, and you said some people had referred to this as an apocalyptic Christmas. Yeah. Was that with Doctor Aiken in the? Oh,
2: I don't. Know. Yeah, I, I don't. I can't remember who. Yeah. Said that. I have, I have no
0: idea. That might be in the. Uh, uh, well, uh, the Christ reason Center I exposition, yeah Christ Center exposition with the president of the seminary. I honestly, I kind of like that. I kind of yeah. like that title. It's yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> So, but with that, uh, you do see that there has been this uh, battle always. And I was reminded of what you were saying with uh, Jacob and Esau. I I think King Herod is a direct descendant of Esau Mm because I think he was an Edomite. Mm -hmm. So you see that the Edomites going all the way back to Esau. Esau tried to kill Jacob and Jesus came from the line of Jacob. So even in that whole grand narrative of you have this war, you see that the war over this child had been going on millennia before Jesus comes on the scene, because if he can get rid of Jacob, there's no line. Yeah. So you have this history of Satan knows. I going on. He knows that this. Uh. Uh baby this seed is going to crush it from the line of J So he was using that and we even see that with uh Rachel weeping for her children with King Herod in uh the the birth narrative. So I thought that was um, thought that was interesting too to see how it's always kind of
1: And the thing man. to go back to what we talked about earlier, Satan's not omniscient. Right. You know God is. Yeah. Right. But Satan has he, he's, he, he understands and knows what's going on. He has revelation, uh, and he acts on it and he does have limited power that God gives him. Uh, but he, his, I think he is more reactionary than he is proactive because uh when Jesus said, you know, he, he was going to build his church and the gates of hell were not prevailed against him, the church is the thing that's supposed to be proactive and moving forward, and it's supposed to be Satan that's reacting to what we're doing. But on the but what we normally do is we're the ones become reactive. Mm. And when really we have we have the authority that God's given us to to live our lives and to try to, you know, help people understand and see. Um this Christmas thing is all about Jesus coming to die for us on the cross and that, that we are the ones who are supposed to be proactive because that battle that's going on is still going on for the souls and hearts and lives of men and women, boys and girls.
0: And I, I think that's a good transition to uh, the next point that, uh, Christmas, uh, Christmas, when Jesus comes and this eternal life he offers, is the gift that keeps on giving. So we've seen how Christmas was always a plan, and we saw that from Genesis 3 and with Revelation 12 kind of tying that all in together. And so now uh, with John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, we see that uh, Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving with the eternal life. Part. And I'm going to turn to John three sixteen and seventeen and eighteen and read that for us. And Jeremiah, I really like that you really brought some emphasis to verses seventeen and eighteen because I completely agree. I think those verses are pretty neglected. Um,
2: yeah. And I was telling you, I didn't yeah. say this in the sermon, but yeah. I was telling you uh, last night. Yeah. It's not just that it, it follows verse sixteen. Like if you're not if you're not going to read John three sixteen from John three. Then you're gonna to go to the Nicodemus story. So, like, there's there's multiple passages that kind of distract you from the fact that seventeen through the rest of the book even exists because you got the whole story with Nicodemus, and that's where the whole born-again talk comes from, and he asks the question, like, How in the in the world do I go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? Like that whole conversation that happens with Jesus. Yeah. And then he talks about the uh, the Son of Man will be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. And so there's a lot of good there in the beginning of Cherokee. A lot of good context, can yeah. It distracts you from 17 and 18. But I think, I think to our detriment, the church's detriment, that they ignore 17 and 18. Well, in
1: them. 17 18, actually... Gives you the context of what what it means to believe. Yeah. Because it. But if you just read that passage, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him yeah. should not perish but have everlasting life. Then I could say, well, I believe in Jesus, yeah. or I believe, you know, God sent him. Yeah. But is that? Did, does that mean I'm believing from a saving point yeah. of view that I'm believing now and I want to give him my life? Because I'm trusting in him as my Lord and Savior. And so I think those verses that follow helps to understand what he's talking about when he says believe. Yeah, so yeah. That's why they're important.
0: And verse 17 and 18 say this, for, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Uh, I, I love what you say a lot. If you just preach condemnation, you're a jerk. Yeah. You're a jerk. If you don't offer a solution and you only expose the problem, you're a jerk. Well, these verses clearly say the solution. They say that, look, we're, we don't need to preach Condemnation and only Condemnation because they're condemned Already yeah. Jesus came to rescue those Who were condemned already You know it's be like if uh, Somebody's bleeding out And you're like well you look real bloody And then walk off it's like we Obviously yeah. <laughs> You know it's like you offer no solution to it Whatsoever and with uh, With G and, well, point- and
2: no one likes a boss that, That's all they ever do is point out hey, here's the problem, here's the problem, here's the problem. you are like, hey, can uh, maybe you offer a solution every once in a while? Right. <laughs> can, you, like, can you tell us how to fix the problem? And then they just focus on the problem all the time. And, uh, I mean, I don't want to belabor this because the the Bible is clear. They are condemned. Yeah. It's just not Jesus or God. Because some people think like, oh, why'd you, why are you always preaching Jesus to me? You're just condemning me to hell. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, no, no. You are condemned because of your sin, but if I just told you you're a sinner, you're, you're going to hell because you're a homosexual or because you're a murderer or, or because you're an idolater or because you drink too much or whatever your pet thing of the day is that you like harp on with your kids or your grandkids or whoever it is that you're always kind of Bible-thumping. If you're always focused on like their pet sin and their specific sin, um, like that the problem, which by the way, I'm I'm becoming increasingly convinced that specific sins are symptoms of the problem. <clears throat> the real problem is they're a sinner. Yeah. And we gotta we gotta teach people they're a sinner. But like I was telling you yesterday, and y'all weren't there for this conversation, but basically I believe that people know they're a sinner. They, want, they might argue with you on a specific sin, like I'm not a sinner because I'm homosexual. They might argue that point. They're not going to argue with you that they're a sinner. That's a common nommer in all of American culture.
0: Right, because you hear things like, well, nobody's perfect. And I'm human. I'm human. Nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes. We all
2: make mistakes. The devil made me do it. The devil. <laughs> yeah. That's four phrases you hear, I would say, weekly if not daily from people. I'm dead serious. Yeah. People still say that. Yeah. They know that being human means you make mistakes. Like my kids get that. Neither one of my kids are Christians yet, but they get it. They know that humans make mistakes. They're not perfect. Um, the problem is is if we just focus there and we keep trying to convince them they're even more of a sinner, which they need to know how, how sinful they are. They do. But you can't stop
1: there. Yeah. Is there yeah. a remedy for my sin? Then? Yeah. How do I how do I get saved? And that's what Jesus is teaching here. Yeah. That there is a remedy, like that, like you alluded to, the the serpent on the pole. Yeah. You know, these people were dying. It was a serpent biting them in the wilderness, which kind of goes back to your Revelation <laughs> passage. It was talking about, you know, yeah. the the battle against God's people. And so, uh, so the remedy was to take a, a, a serpent, which is a symbol of sin, a symbol of Satan, and, and put that serpent then on a crop, on a, on a pole, a stick attached to it. So he probably had to drive a nail into it for it to be on, up there yeah. hmm. and rise it up. And all the people had to do is if you get bitten, turn and look. Yeah. That was the remedy, just turn and look. By turning the look, then means you believe. If I look at that snake on that pole, I'm going to be saved. And yeah. So in the same way, when he talks about Jesus lifted up and Jesus then becomes that sin for us, he becomes the serpent on a stick. And so when he says to believe in him, it's like, okay, I understand I'm a sinner. And how do I get out of this precarious situation I'm in that I deserve death and hell? Well, I look, look to him and believe. Yeah. And when you do that, And then the Bible says that uh, we can be saved Uh, because I'm not looking, I'm not, I think part of the problem is everybody, everybody, nobody wants to go to hell and, you know, some some crazy rock and roller that, you know, I'm on the highway to hell or something. They think it's some kind of big party. Nobody would want to. And so when all the the preachers would preach hell fire and all that, which is what people really want to hear every week almost, you know, you have people like, Hey, y'all need to preach on hell. Then, if I turn to Jesus, I'm just trying to escape a punishment. I'm just trying to escape hell. Like a get but out of hell if I really free turn car. to Jesus to believe in Him to say, hey, I want to trust you with my whole life and, and trust you not only my life, but my whole eternity because of who you are, not because of what I escape. Yeah. And so, I think, I think, um, so then when that preaching and teaching comes through, then it makes people think that. Well, I'm condemned and God wants to condemn me. God wants to punish me. God wants to send me to hell. And so it, it's, a, it's a different way of, of, of hearing what Jesus has done for us. So Jesus turns it all around when he says, hey, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to provide you the opportunity that way of escape, that remedy. Mm-hmm. If you just turn to me and, you know, uh um, Put your faith and trust and belief in me for all eternity. I'll do that for you. And so it's a whole different way of looking at and presenting Jesus then to people. Um, Because if people are comfortable in their sins, it doesn't matter how many times you call them a sinner or whatever, that makes them more entrenched. I'm not an alcoholic. You know, you people preach. The Bible Bible has wine in the Bible and all this stuff. Then that's just going to make them more determined to stay in the way that the, 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 the reality of their life at this time. So, but if you teach that there's this Jesus here that loves you regardless, yeah. and if you just give your life to him and trust him, uh, he's going to put you on a pathway of, of eternity, but also a pathway to live a life here on this earth that you don't have to have all the, the you're still going to have problems and things you're going to face, but he's going to be with you every step of the way now. So it's just a different way of approaching because I remember when I was lost, and I would hear messages. Uh, I felt condemnation. But I think that's why a lot of people want, don't want to hang around Christians or go to church because they feel like uh, this guilt they're going to feel is coming from you. But really, it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So when the Holy Spirit started con- convicting, me, convicting me of my sins, it wasn't the person talking to me. It was the Holy Spirit that was doing it. And he then started to start say, hey, you have this great need. You need salvation. Yeah. You need to get turn your life around by trusting in me, not by anything you can do to, to make yourself better. Yeah. That's not the way it works. So, this a great, great, great passage. And, um, a way of keeping going back to it where, like you said, if we cut it off at John 3.16, then we miss a, a huge opportunity to tell people what the rest of it's
0: about. And I feel like when we... I feel like when we as Christians focus so much on like particular sins, it's like a doctor focusing on symptoms and not what the root cause of those symptoms are, like the disease. Jesus came to treat the disease of sin. Um, Now, obviously, when he treats that disease of sin, that's going to affect the symptoms, but he can't fix that if he just focuses on the symptoms and not look at what's actually causing that, which is our sin and we shouldn't we shouldn't share the gospel with people because of sins, but because they're sinners. Because we want them to have a new identity in Christ, and not looking at them as projects to or people to be fixed, but people to be loved. People to uh, show that they are, you know, to show them that they have somebody who does love them, who loves them. They'll meet who loves them so much that he will come and meet you where you were at but he's not going to let you stay where you were at um, because like in uh like i think first john is a great example of uh you know if you love christ you're not going to continue on and on and on in sin you know that should produce genuine fruit of repentance like a like a turning to him like a, the israelites did in the wilderness when they looked up at the serpent they had to look and live to repent of their sins um
1: and like, here, like um... I saw a bumper sticker the other day on a car. And I think I talked to you about it when we went to lunch. And it, it said, uh, 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 I was born okay the first time. Mm. It was a bumper sticker mm. going against that. You must be born again. That, yeah. that you're born this center. And, and it was obviously, a, they had a lot of other bumper stickers on the car. And by their bumper stickers, you knew what lifestyle they were living. So they were trying to say, I was born into this lifestyle in this way, so I'm okay. Don't try to get me born again. Yeah. And that's kind of the way our culture is right now. Um, everything that uh, is true and right, Satan always has a counterfeit and counterfeit argument to it. And um, so, so, so if we stopped at John three sixteen, that that falls into that that bumper sticker that okay, well. You know, God sent Jesus, but, you know, I I don't need to be born again. I'm okay. I don't need a Savior. You know, why are you trying to condemn me uh, for my lifestyle, things like that? And so we just have to be really wise as Christians now in this culture we live in. Sometimes we even have to uh, make sure, like if I was going to use a term, I could define it, but then I would have the person I'm talking to, what do you mean when you say this? It's so like if I had to, if I sat there and had a conversation with a person, well, hey, I had noticed your bumper sticker. What do you mean by that? Mm. And then let him tell me or her tell me what they mean by it, and then that may help help clarify, um, you know, that 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 opportunity to try to share a witness to
0: something. Well, and when you do that, you're showing interest in them. You're seeing their point of view instead of like trying to shove our point of view if you will uh you're trying to get into their mind see what where they're coming from so you can show them their need but in a loving in a loving way because you're just simply having a conversation well, about christ, right. if christ i look yeah.
1: at it and i'm not going to talk to the person because in my mind i'm going to say but well, they've already got their mind made up and that's what most christians do they don't talk to anybody because they think well that person either is not they don't really care or they got their mind made up or they're already judging me because i'm a christian like when we, we we we've all had this conversation before about when do you let somebody know you're a pastor if mm-hmm. you're having a conversation with them because as soon as they find out you're a pastor a lot of them will start apologizing start changing the way they're taught, put up some and stuff yeah. barriers and so um to me it's just another barrier that people have put up and unfortunately because of um, a lot of um probably maybe well-intentioned. I'm not really sure a lot of times on their intentions how a lot of people, the low, uh, a vocal few, um, have been prominent in the news um, and really was not preaching John 3, 6, 16 in a positive manner, but was preaching more the condemnation part and doing it vocally, doing it with signs, doing it so people will show up. And and not, pre- I mean, even when they preach and teach, it comes out across as I'm teaching this from a hate point of view, that I really hate you, not not the sin. And so that's part of our um, big problem that we have right now with our, our uh, uh, culture we live in is they throw out the church all in one big bucket too, which includes also the churches that have compromised on sin and lifestyles and all. And, pretty much have watered down everything where what does it even mean to be a believer and follower if, if there's no real, you know, if there's no sacrifice or no real change in my part, but I can still be a member and a follower of this church and be in good standing. So both of those things have really um, created a problem for us to, to go go back to the scripture and try to stay true to what the scripture teaches so we can talk to people where they can hear.
0: Yeah, yeah, and with uh with the uh, the theme of Christmas brings the best gifts and gifts that keep on giving. A lot of times, and we got to be careful in not always just doing the condemnation, but uh focusing on the per you know the person who brings the gifts that keep on giving. Because I think a lot of times, and it I don't think it's bad intention, but a lot of times it can be like, well, do you want to you know do you want to go to heaven? Do you want um do you not want to go to hell? Things like this. We can focus so much on the benefits of salvation, but I, I think a lot of that is something that I've been convicted of is pointing towards the person who can offer salvation, that work, and then when you do that, you can see like the need, and uh, really balance, uh, really balance the truth and grace. Or is that the right way to look at truth and grace? Or maybe we should look at it in a different way.
2: Um no, I don't know sorry, there's a few questions in there, but yeah. Um no, it's just this whole the whole thing about like our culture knows way more about what we are against. Yeah. And that's what's frustrating to me. And if I'm being honest, for a long time in my life I could quote way more scriptures about what we were against. Like if somebody asked me should I get a tattoo? Or if someone asked me, should I drink alcohol? Or someone asked me, uh, should I kiss my girlfriend? Like, when's the appropriate time to cross that line or hold hands with my girlfriend? Or yeah. whatever? I had all these like proof texts for like sins and, and pocket sins, like uh, homosexuality. Like, here, the Bible says here, here, and here, you can't be homosexual. But then if you had asked me, like, well then, who's Jesus, and like what what's good for him? I have like two, John three sixteen, and like maybe maybe Romans six twenty three, because half of that is about the gift. Yeah,
1: we just sin is death. The yeah, gift. <laughs>
2: but the other half is like yeah. about the combination, not combination, but the the sin part of it, yeah. right? And so like we're just not. I hate to say it, but we just we're not good on Jesus. Mm. I just don't think enough people, even Christians, realize that, like, Jesus is the best thing. I think
0: you hit the nail on the head there.
2: We've got to talk about Jesus. Like, not, do you want to go to hell? Like, who, like Jeff just said earlier, no one, no one wants to go to hell. If they actually knew what hell was, no, no no one wants to go. Not at all. Not even the rocker who thinks it's a party. Because they just have a... Different definition. They're just they're just trying to redefine heaven where they don't need Jesus to get it. Right, right. Um, and they're just creating their own heaven or whatever. But no, like the gift is Jesus. That's what brings joy. Like, I get fired up now because I love Jesus. Like that, I don't really care what benefits come with Jesus. I want on his side. I want to be with him. I want to be with him forever. And I know that there are benefits that come with. Jesus, which are eternal life and heaven and blessings and just all the things that scriptures talk about. But let's be strong on Jesus. Why like why are we so strong on sin? We know we know everything, every text about sin, all these these proof texts about sin. But where's the text about Jesus? Like, could you tell me why? jesus came to die could you tell me why he's so beautiful like why we talked about like the gospel and it's the good news like let's just be strong on jesus and joy and the positives and i get there's the negative side i I never want to i never want to take away from the negative my whole point is hey we're already strong there we're good there we know that stuff i think where we're weak is what we're for let's tell people what we're for not focus on always what we're against
0: because I, I think yeah, does that
2: answer your question? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> we all kind of like our woo, yeah, oh, yeah. zoning in
0: and out today. <laughs> the long,
2: long week. We're ready We've for the
0: holidays. a question about like uh, the truth, truth yeah. versus
2: like truth and
0: grace.
1: Truth versus grace.
0: Yeah, are they kind of should they be seen to? Or should they be looked at as opposites John or? Puts
1: truth and grace together. When I think yeah. it's in uh, one fourteen, we beheld his glory. The only forgotten yeah. uh, son, full of grace and truth.
0: And the reason I uh, ask that is method of evangelism, how to how to balance the truth. The well, truth is
1: well, okay. If, uh, you're a sinner, and because you're sin, you're going to die. So everybody's going to die. We all know we're going to die. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're going to spend eternity without without God mm. in a place that, if you can think of the worst place in the world, you can be, um, just multiply by. You know, whatever number. That's yeah. the truth. So I could do the truth all day long and preach that all day long, and Baptists have been notorious of we're people of the truth. Yeah. Then we forget then what is the grace part of it? The grace part is that that that, that there's nothing we can do to deserve to deserve salvation or earn salvation or merit mercy, grace, loving, every all the great things of our God. But he gives it to us anyway, which kind of goes back to like what I was talking about with Jeremiah with his children. You know, if he did Christmas based on whether they deserved a gift or not, oh. they probably wouldn't get any. <laughs> <laughs> but if he gives them Christmas just because hey, I'm a dad, I love, it. I love it. it. It gives me joy to see my kids having fun and, you know, getting something new and playing with it and stuff like that. Then, so so we, we love grace. Yeah. And we want grace, but but we need to extend grace as well. Yeah. Uh, and so you got to do both. Which is also the truth. Yes. 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 It's yeah. It's just <laughs> yeah. A, yeah, for real. It's
2: just, if you focus if on the justice part or the sin part, you've only given them half the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's where there's, there's that one text um, where we should teach the full counsel of God. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, why are we teaching half, half the truth? And then like if you just focus on grace, which I know I'm kind of a proponent for focusing on the positive, um, you're doing the same you have the same problem. Yeah. And really the one that was tough for me was just it like, how could God be just and merciful? Mm-hmm. How? How in the world because a just God, right, has to punish sin. None of us, oh, I'm, about to go on, I'm about to go on a tangent, sorry. That's all right. <laughs> but how can I, this is the toughest one for yeah. it was, not for me anymore, because I understand Jesus, right? Yeah. I understand the truth. But justice means that God must punish sin. If he just allows sin to go unpunished, then that's not justice. We don't want that kind of justice system. I don't want a murderer to get away with, his, with murdering. It needs to be punished. Right that just makes sense. We all that's kind of written on our hearts, I believe. Like even whether you're Christian or not, you feel that, I believe so too. Right? Well, then you're like, "Well, what about mercy? How can he be merciful and show mercy, mercy, mercy to that to that uh murderer?" Mm.
0: The, yeah, it seems like against a, each other? Yeah, it. Yeah, seems like a tension with one another and almost. That's why
2: it's like, "Oh, someone else took the punishment." Yeah. That's the only way it works. Mm. It still had to be punished. Yeah, yeah. Someone else took the punishment. It was, oh, he took the punishment for that. God himself took the punishment for that and then offered mercy to his son Jesus. And so, man, you got to, if you don't understand Jesus, you don't understand anything. I mean, you really don't. Like, you you can want to go to heaven and want to be a sweet bye bye, an angel, yeah. whatever, flying with your, I, I don't know right. what. I don't know why you're a Christian if you don't. I like to say, like, I would if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't be a Christian. And you're like, well, duh.
0: What duh, yeah. <laughs> like, obviously.
2: <laughs> but I think sometimes people are Christians for things other than Jesus. Because I, they get I think some there's some truth benefit. there. What like, you say. I just don't want to go to hell. Right. That's not a great reason to be a Christian. Like, you don't understand justice, mercy, grace, anything with that type of mentality.
1: Right, because then when you have that mentality, I got my get out of hell free card, so now I can just live where I want to. Yeah. Which then goes against belief? Because if I really believe, why would I live like that? Yeah. You know, if this person has has put himself on this pole, he became sin for me. Why? Why now would I not want to live for that person and do everything I can to get other people to come to know him and enjoy him and to live live for him? Um. So it all comes from full circle.
0: Because when that gift has been given to us, uh, we would be we would be crazy not to want to share that with others. Because if it's genuinely changed us, we should want that to genuinely change others. And it all goes back to the um, the gift, and which is what you're going to be uh, which is what you're going to be preaching on this week. Well, the good news, yeah, the yeah. good news of the gift. We preached on the
2: gift twice now. Yeah, <laughs> <already done> <laughs> yeah, oh,
0: yeah, oh yeah, that's right, that's right. Yes. Yeah, I did the visions about the gift of salvation,
1: yeah. and uh, so Christmas Eve will be about uh the timing, God's you know, time, yeah. fullness of time, and then Christmas Day will be about um, the proclamation: "This is the good news for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior is Christ the Lord." So I'm gonna go through that
2: mm-hmm.
1: like There's a reporter there. to what when where and why head on of it, and and just break it down and you some passages that kind of back up what, what happened
0: that day. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm excited for those two sermons. I wanted to uh, close with uh, one thing just uh, as a way of saying, because this is the last time our us three are going to podcast together. Jeremiah and I will podcast some next week. It might be short, kind of more abbreviated or whatnot. But just as a pastoral collective as a whole, I wanted to just give a little bit, of time just say Jeremiah thank you for what you've done for Rose of Sharon over the last nine years I know me personally as a pastor I have grown so much because of you and your um, um, your wisdom and how um, you've uh, pushed me to be better and I'm really thankful for that I'm thankful for uh, what you've done for our youth ministry our youth is uh, we have some very high quality youth and I've seen a lot of churches who I can't say that about their youth group honestly um, and I've loved, I've loved seeing you, how you have a heart for your, uh, how you have a heart for your youth and what you do for them. So at just at the end of it, man, I want to say thank you for what you've done for, our, um, um, what you've done for our church. Uh, I'm really excited, uh, for what Mary the Black has in store for you out in Oklahoma. <laughs> and I think, uh, I've, I've always thought uh, you'd make a great, um, great lead pastor. You're a great youth pastor, but I know that you're definitely going to make a great, great lead pastor out there. So I'm really excited for that. Yeah. And dittos to me
1: too. You know, I said, I said everything about Jeremiah and Jonathan, of course, Blake and myself too on that passage. i talked about, yeah. about uh, pastor appreciation. Why I appreciate us as pastors because uh, we do get it. We know we're in a culture that is totally against Christianity and we're, we're in churches that, um, I'm talking about the church as a whole, where a lot of Christians are nominal Christians or may not really be Christians or may never really been regenerate and things like that. And we have all these things, uh, coming at us about what church is supposed to be. And, but we still try to continue each and every day, trying to preach the gospel, trying to point people to Christ, trying to, you know, minister to them and help them as much as we can. Um, and with Jeremiah, you know, the focus of the context is king because the context is about the king is mm-hmm. always good like to that. know. Uh, and so it really helps us all to kind of stay like if I have a passage on, I don't know. I'm like, I've got to explain a little bit. I've got to at least explain some context around this passage. I just can't just pull it out of thin air and just oh, yeah. preach it and try to apply it, which is what really we're supposed to do anyway. So we appreciate all you have done here. And. Um, we wish you all the best out there in Oklahoma. Look forward to hearing good things about what God's going to be
0: doing. Uh, so we love you too.
1: Well, I appreciate y'all. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Anything, any last things from you?
2: No, I mean, I that? keep saying thank you. And the yeah. more you say it, the less, I, I want to keep it short. Yeah. No, just, I got you. Oh, yeah. you yeah. Know, I don't want to sound like a, a drum. Uh, I, don't, I don't feel things right.
1: I'll
2: feel it once I'm on the road trip, mm, yeah. and I know I'll, I will. But, um, yeah, I, mean, I I appreciate all
0: my time here, Rose Sharon. Yeah. for y'all, it's been good. Oh yeah, well, that'll wrap up our uh, midweek main point edition this week. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you have a Merry Christmas. Enjoy this time. Uh, enjoy this time of season right now. It's a great season. Uh, To share Christ and just to remember that He became, uh, that the Word became flesh and He dwelt among us so that we could have that eternal life, so that we could have a relationship with Him, so that our uh, tension with God could cease and that we could have a relationship and that we can have life and not just life, but life abundantly in Jesus. Don't miss Jesus this Christmas season. That's what we definitely want you to take out of this. Have a great week. Have a Merry Christmas and God bless.